Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God said, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. And your old men will dream dreams. But let me tell you what sort of bothers me a little bit. Even when I hear that, though, is so often we hear these supernatural experiences on the mission field. But we come back to America and, and church here, and we don't hear those kind of stories. And, and this morning, I want to address that. And, and by the end of our message today, I hope that you're going to have some kind of clue as to why often we don't experience the supernatural power of God. You see, when, when Jesus said his last words on this earth to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, listen to what he said in verse 8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, look, look what happens here in this incredible book. We're talking about move. We're talking about movement. That's what the book of Acts is about. In fact, normally when we look at this book, we just simply call it the book of Acts. That's a, that's a good title because it is a book of movement. It is a book about the gospel going from the confines of Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. But I want to introduce you to a, a better title if you're taking notes this morning. A better title would be the Acts of the Apostles, okay? Not only just Acts, but the Acts of the Apostles. Because here's what God does. God uses people to lead this movement. And you really could divide the book of Acts into this outline. You've got the Acts of Peter, the lead apostle, and then you have the Acts of Paul. Now, so often we go to the book of Acts and we go, wow, that's so exciting. The church explodes. God unleashes this powerful movement. And we say, you know, we would like to be the church in Acts we want to compare what we do to what they did, and we want to be that church. And I love that. But I think we need the best title in order to do that. And the best title is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You see, the number one character mentioned in Acts is not Peter or Paul. It's the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 59 times in the book of Acts. And here's the point I want to make this morning. We cannot do what they did unless we have what they have. Got it? We can't do what they did unless we have this Holy Spirit power that they did. Reminds me of an old Jerry Clower story. He talks about a man who goes to a hardware store and he buys a chainsaw. He, his job is to cut down trees. He's been doing it with an axe. And he goes to the store, he's about to buy a new axe, and the owner says, you don't need an axe, you need a chainsaw. And the guy said, well, cool. So he purchased the chainsaw. He goes out and he works with it for a day, and then he comes back to take it back to the store. And he encounters this same man, he said, this is a piece of junk. I mean, with an axe, I could cut down four or five trees in a day. I, I, can't, I couldn't even get one down with this thing. And the owner says, well, you ought to be able to cut down 50 trees in a day with this. The guy says, well, I sure couldn't do that. And then the owner looks at it and can tell it's, it's not really been used. And so he takes it from the man and he pulls the chain and it broom up. And then the man sees the power that he actually has. My friends, the man 
had what he needed, but he didn't understand it. Because when he heard the noise, he said, what's that? And my friends, when it comes to us living the Christian life and being on a mission for God, we have what we need, but I'm afraid, at least in my case, so often I don't really understand it. And so today I want to dive into an understanding of the Holy Spirit with you today. And our first point is the Holy Spirit lives in a divine community. Well, we call this theologically the Trinity. You've got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God, yet he exists as three distinct persons. Now, we see this in the baptism of Jesus. They're separate. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit, as a dove, falls on him. And the Father is heard to say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am pleased. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son. But I like what one Japanese convert said to the person who had led them to Christ. Honorable Father, very good. Honorable Son, very wonderful. Honorable Bird, I do not understand it all. And often we struggle. We understand better the Father. We understand better the Son. But most of us have grown up rather ignorant about the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice something, though, about the graph in front of you. You have three circles. They're all the same size and the same color. What I indicate by that is all three of the Godhead have the same nature. They're united in their mission. And they're all the same size. Please do not look at the Spirit as the junior member of the Godhead. He is just as important as the Father and Son. Now, we also notice, though, despite they look the same there and have the same nature, they also are three distinct circles. They're different. They're different persons. But we also notice that you can see right there in the middle, they they overlap with each other. You, You see, what happens here is the Father, Son, and Spirit are living in a divine community. It's a place of absolute love where they're connected and they encourage and feed off each other. Now, they're separate, but they're affected by each other. It's like if if you had a a sword and you had a fire going, you put that sword in the fire. The sword would remain separate from the fire, but when you pulled it out, it would be burning hot. It would be affected by that fire. And so this, in this community, they feed off each other. In fact, many theologians call what happens between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the divine dance. You ever seen someone dance in perfect harmony and when every part of their bodies are moving together and it's just a beautiful thing to witness? That's what happens between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's perfect harmony and love. How do we understand that? The best way I can illustrate this, and there's no perfect illustration, is is with marriage. We understand when two people get married, they are separate. And yet, the Bible says that you become one. And if you've been married very long, you, you understand this. Because you become, if you work on your marriage and you listen to God, you become closer and closer. And you actually even become more like each other. Any of you in here can finish the sentences of your mate? Okay? 
Boy, not very good marriages in this room, okay? Uh, any of you can, um, you know what they're thinking. I, sometimes I can be in a room and something happens and I know exactly what Stephanie's thinking. Sometimes I'm in a room and she can read my mind. That's when I get in trouble. How about you? There, there are even some studies out there that say the longer you are married and the closer you are, that you even start looking like each other which probably is beginning a movement of wives out of this worship center right now. You probably don't want that. But there's this closeness. If, if we could have a perfect marriage, we wouldn't say we want to take away your identity. That would, be, that would not be healthy. We want you to have two identities, but you'd want to live in such harmony and such unity that we could say you're two people, but you're really one. And that's the best picture I can give you of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I used to say something in wedding ceremonies that that I'm embarrassed that I I said. I had this sort of monologue at the beginning of the ceremony where I'd say, God created the world, and it was such a beautiful place. But God was lonely, and so God created man so that he might have someone to walk with. And then he saw that man was lonely, and so he created woman. Now, the second part may be true, but the first part is absolutely not true. God was not lonely. God already existed in perfect community and love. It's not like God was lonely and he needed us. Now, here's a a key point in the outline you're writing right now. Here's what happens. God invites us to this perfect harmony. As the passage we looked at last week in 2 Peter chapter 1, we are invited to participate in the divine nature. Some translations say we participate in the life of God. So here's what Christianity is about. God's got this perfect love and harmony. Maybe it's like high school. You're honored because you're invited to the dance. God wants you and I to live in that same love and unity. So God's not lonely, but God is loving. And he wants you to experience what he experiences in community. Now, another point here, as we look at this community. In this divine community, there seems to be a division of labor, okay? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit don't replicate what the other does. In fact, this is the simplest outline I can give you. It seems to me that the Father plans, the Son executes, and the Spirit empowers. Okay? We see this two times. In the creation of the earth, it was God's plan and God's command for this to happen. He just whispered it. But we know from John chapter 1 that it was Jesus who actually executed the plan and created the earth. And then it was the Spirit that was left to go over the face of the earth to keep it going. Now, we see this again in what I would call recreation. God wanted to redeem us and to bring us back to himself. And so that was his plan. And so he commands his son to go and to execute this plan, which is for him to come live among us, share our flesh, and die in our place. But when the son leaves, we're not left alone. The Spirit comes to empower us to live the life that God the Father and Jesus the Son has purchased for us. So we see that. So, 
Here's what I want you to know this morning. This promise is for you, okay? Many of us grew up in a theology that said, oh, that's all good and that all happened. The Father sent the Son, the Son came, the Spirit came and did His incredible work. And by the end of the first century, the Spirit had left the building, all right? And, and basically, God gave us the Bible and said, I hope you make it. Well, listen to one of our favorite verses. I grew up on half this verse. Acts 2, verse 38. It's a great verse, and it belongs in our theology. You know, when these people on Pentecost are wanting to become Christians, they tell, how do we get in on this thing? And Peter replied, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, period. Now, when I grew up, we stopped there. Such a tragedy. We loved Acts 2.38a, but we forgot Acts 2.38b. And what a shame. For it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Someone says, that's just for them. Not a, no, no, no. Read verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all, that's you and me, whom the Lord our God will call. My friends, this theology that says God came and did his thing and then he left the earth and threw us a Bible is basically a fancy form of deism. You're on your own. Hope you make it. Here's what I want you to know this morning. God has not left you alone or unempowered. He has left you the Holy Spirit to live where? In you. Amen? Uh, you guys aren't getting this. If you get it, you say amen better. He's left the Holy Spirit to live in you. Amen? amen. I got, that's, a, that's a game changer, guys. Because, guys, what we've done in the past, because the Holy Spirit is really hard to explain. That makes me hesitate sometimes because I don't know that I've got a perfect explanation. You know, and when we get in there, people go in all kinds of directions with the Spirit, and I love that. But what we did in the past, guys, is we wanted God to be understandable to us. So we put him in a rational box. But the problem, when you put the Holy Spirit in a box, the Holy Spirit can't move. And what we need to do is get the Spirit out of the box and let the Spirit do what it wants to do. Why? Because what the Spirit wants to do is not just live in divine community with the Father and Son. It wants to live in divine connection with us. So let's, let's go to another graph here. Here's the way I think it works. There, there's me, and I need God, and I need His power. So God the Father reaches through the Son to give me the Holy Spirit. God the Father comes up with a plan, the Son executes it, and He leaves the Holy Spirit. In fact, He told His apostles, you guys are going to be better off with the Holy Spirit than you were with me. So that's the way God reaches me. Now, as we said last week, God's not a bully. I've also got to reciprocate. And so here's what I do. On the other side, there's me. I pray in the Spirit, through the Son... To the Father. You got that? In the Spirit, I don't pray on my own. I've got divine power. Through the Son, He's given me full access to God. To the Father. And so we've got this amazing connection. You say, oh, that's cool, buddy. What does that mean? Let me tell you some things that means. Number one, the divine connection gives me closeness with God. 
How close is God? How close is he? He's in me. That's pretty close. And you know what the Holy Spirit does in me? He illuminates God. He makes him known. It's like going to one of those movies where you need 3D glasses. You, you could walk in the theater and you could probably still watch the movie barely without them. But when you put them on, everything jumps off the screen. The colors, the, the context, the contrast, everything becomes r- more real to you. And that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. He makes God jump off the page of Scripture and illuminates who God is for me. Number two, He gives me the transformation of my character. The work of the Holy Spirit is to create a Holy Spirit in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, my favorite verse in the Bible. We all with unveiled faces behold and reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed moment by moment into his glory through the Spirit. You see, if you're a Christian in this audience today, at some point you made a crazy claim. You, you raised your hand and you said, uh, I'd like to be like Jesus. And someone who knew you probably should have said, that's crazy. But not if you have the Holy Spirit. Because what the Holy Spirit does is Romans chapter 8, he helps us put to death the sins of the flesh. And he brings into me the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work is to transform my character to a point that I can be a representative for God. And then number three, what we're seeing in the book of Acts is he empowers for missions. When Jesus leaves the scenes, the last word he says is, you guys wait, the Spirit is coming, and he'll power you to, empower you to be my witnesses. We all get so intimidated by sharing our faith and being on this mission because we think we've got to do it on our own. The good news is the Holy Spirit is empowering you to complete this mission. And another way he does this is, number four, by the bestowing of gifts. God is not asking you to do something that he has not gifted you to do. So you can look at a few places in Scripture where there are lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We get to participate in the divine mission and equipped by God. Now, look at these four things. Now, here's, here's the deal. We're going to make a mistake if we take the Holy Spirit and say, this is just for me. In fact, most times the Holy Spirit's talked about in the Bible, it's talked about us. Okay? Why? Because what happens here, why do I have this closeness with God? Why does my character begin to change? Why am I empowered on this mission? Why am I given gifts not to use for my own satisfaction? They are all given to me so that my life might be attractive. People might see the fruit of the Spirit in my life and go, wow, I wish I could live like that. Uh, My gifts are given so that I'm empowered for the mission, so that I've got what I need to do my part to be a part of the mission. So the Holy Spirit lives in community, and we have been invited to be a part of that community, and not just to be a part of it because it's a cool place to be, but to to become a part of this movement of God across the the face of the earth. Now, let me say this. 
if everything I've said is true, then we're going to put our finger on where many of us have gone wrong, okay? So stick with me just a few more minutes. Because if we're meant to live in this community and with powerful connection, many of us have experienced what I would call a disastrous disconnection, okay? We've not been living in the power of the Holy Spirit and no doubt our lives are frustrating. And we live in guilt. Now here's the point I'm trying to make today. When the church forgets the mission of God, the church neglects the Spirit of God. You see, if you look at the history of the church, I'm going to give you a few points today. You look at the history of the church. When the church was most on mission, when the church was most despised, but when the church begins to be the state church, the spirit is normally closed down. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute historically. Stay with me. The first three centuries of the church, the church was this incredible mission that spanned the globe in the power of the Spirit. The worst thing that happened to the church was when the emperor of Rome, Constantine, became a Christian, and Christianity was the state religion. In fact, by the end of the third century in Rome, it was illegal not to be a Christian. Why do you need the power of the Holy Spirit if everybody's got to be a Christian? And so the Spirit was shut down. Even other parts of church history, the wonderful Reformation that came, it was a powerful thing. But in the long run, the great Reformation in Europe ended up being state-sponsored church. If you lived in Scandinavia, you were a Lutheran. If you lived here, you were this. If you lived here, you were that. And and though the Reformation did a lot of good and brought a lot of truth, it, it tended to regulate people into being Christians. And the the Holy Spirit was not a strong part of that mainline denominational theology. Because again, if everybody in our state is required to be a Christian, then basically we're not on mission. And then we came to America. Do you recognize during the Revolutionary War, a majority of Americans were not Christians? Realize that? We had a, a pretty deist and heathenistic past. But if you read church history, you'll see in the 18th century, the Spirit was poured out on America. All these incredible, um, you know, revolutions began. Revivals began. We talk about the, the first and second great awakening in America. You read that, some crazy stuff goes on around it. And, and, and America all of a sudden becomes this majority Christian nation. And many of us grew up in that. And there were some good things about that. But there also was a danger to that. Back in the day when you could pretty much assume that everybody, even if they didn't go to church, at least shared our values. We didn't really lean much on the Spirit. In fact, I've been reading a book that's really helped me with this called Pour Out by a brother named uh, Leonard Allen. And I want you to hear just a couple of, of readings from this. Because what you and I have seen in our generation is what most people would call, at least in the northern hemisphere of the world, Christianity's not smaller than it used to be. Only in Europe and America. In the southern hemisphere, Christianity is exploding. But what we've seen is this decline. By the mid 
20th century Western Christianity is in decline and decay. In 1949, historian Herbert Butterfield noted the remarkable fact that for the first time in about 15 centuries, no person in the West was being compelled by the government to call himself or herself a Christian. By the 1960s in America, the third disestablishment of the church from its dominant place in American culture was underway in the, with the cultural revolution of that decade. By the late century, you could observe the collapse of Christianity. Listen, though many lamented its passing, this had actually liberated the church, stripping, us, stripping it of its earlier self-confidence, assumptions and power, power and comfortable in just being a chaplain's role. Now, here's where we are today, guys. The church could once again more truly be the church. It could recover its essential missional character and the intrinsic, intrinsic missionary character of the Holy Spirit. It could be modeled after its servant Lord and mission to become church crossing borders in the form of a servant. You see, the church has always thrived when it's an alternative culture. Wilbert Schink writes, with the collapse of historical Christendom, the church today is a minority in most countries. To be viable, the church must assume a missionary relationship in every culture. The church dare not make the mistake of thinking. It must gain control of society in order to proclaim the gospel. God has not called the church to govern the world, but to witness to God's plan to renew the world based on the justice and love of God. Now, Nick, I, I know that's a lot there. What is that saying? What that is really saying to you and I is in this new position we find ourselves in. We have the opportunity to restore the mission of God, which restores the work of the Spirit of God. We no longer can assume that we're in power. That may be the best thing to ever happen to the church. We now have the opportunity to be a counter-alternative culture. People see where the world is going, and they hopefully can see in us something so completely different that it's attractive. And within us, we are empowered by the Spirit to share and to witness to that. And we've been given the gifts to do it. So I hope you see my point today. If you're going to change and I'm in change, it's got to be more than just superficial. It's got to be more than just self-improvement. It's got to be a part of something so big that we can't do it on our own. Because as long as I just put goals that I can do, I don't have to have the Spirit. But when I ask God to do through me what I could not do on my own, I've got to have the Spirit. So here's my question. What are you and I doing that we have to have God's power to do. I ask us as a church, what are we going to do in 2019 that could only happen by the power of God? And we got a great group of people, so we can do a lot of cool things on our own. But what are we going to launch out to do that only can happen by God's power? What are you going to launch out to be that can only happen by God's power? Well, for instance, over the last two Sundays, we, we've had an incredible movement in this church. Two Sundays ago, we left behind the year 2018 some habits and attitudes and sins we want to get past. Last Sunday, we all came before our shepherds and presented them our next step. Here's how I want to grow. Here's what I want to do. 
Man, we've been praying all week over these pages of next steps that you guys had said. I'm telling you, there must have been a lot more people in Bible class this morning because many people, that was your step. Many was a small group. Many was a quiet time. Many was to work on your marriage. It may be what, but everybody, it seems, came up with a next step. Now, that's all well and good, and I thank God for that, man, and I am so fired up about that. But here's what I must warn you. If you try to leave that stuff behind and you try to take this step on your own power, you will fail. It'll be like every New Year's resolution you've ever made. In the long run, you will fail because you don't have the power to do this. But if you'll take these next steps, if you will try to overcome those problems in the past, not on your own power, if you will set goals and dreams, and we as a church, for stuff that couldn't happen on our own, then we will encounter the Holy Spirit. Why does God have to show up if we're only doing stuff we can do? He shows up when we got to have him. So you say, okay, buddy, that's nice. How do I get this power? Let me give you two scriptures. One we've already looked at. Book of Acts is a little bit confusing about when you receive the Holy Spirit. But one very plain passage we just looked at in Acts 2.38. When people wanted to follow Jesus, they were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today, if you're needing this power and you've never been baptized, one thing promised to you in black and white is that when you're baptized, little Tucker Black last week, while they were filling out that next step form, punched his daddy and said, Daddy, how do you spell baptize? In May 15 this morning, he was baptized and he received the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's you. And then another plain way that you receive more of the Holy Spirit is Luke 11, verse 13. I love this passage. Jesus says, if you, though... You are evil and know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Because the best gift God can give you is himself and his power. How do you get it, Jesus? Oh, my goodness. Ask him. And that's what we're about to do. Today, you need the prayers of this church for the Holy Spirit to be more active and alive in your life. Let's ask him. What would happen if we all just left this place praying every day? God, give me as much of the Spirit as you want to give me. Just give me that Spirit. Work through me in power. I need to do this, Lord. I'm scared to death, but i got to have your power. Lord, I want to share my faith with this friend at work, but it's only going to happen by your power. What would happen if we prayed that? I'm telling you what would happen. We would start having stories of the supernatural. That's the clue. When you launch out on a mission that only God can do, the Spirit descends in all of its power. So let's sing this wonderful song and invite God's Spirit among us. Stand and sing.